Matthew chapter 2. Uh, we don't have a, a lot written in Scripture about uh, Jesus' um, life uh, from you know, a young boy uh, until he started his ministry. We've got uh, the one story you'll recall where he was uh, hanging out um, there at the temple and got left behind as the family headed back home. Um, and that's, that's, I think, uh, is our own little snapshot of, of Jesus as a boy. But we do have a little bit more about uh, Jesus' life as an infant. So uh, we're going to look at uh, Matthew uh, because the next thing kind of on the, the calendar there after the birth of Jesus is um, the visit from uh, what we call the wise men, the, the visit of the Magi. And that's what uh, chapter 2 of Matthew is about. Uh, so we're going to just walk through that. Uh, remind ourselves of uh, the things that Matthew was trying to say, and um, we'll see where God leads us. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we, start, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So there's a lot in those first couple of verses. So let me go back. Uh, so it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. And we, we talked a little bit about Bethlehem last week. It's got a long history. Uh, we, were, we first heard about Bethlehem um, as uh, the place where uh, Rachel uh, died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin uh, back in Genesis. And then, of course, we hear a lot about Bethlehem as being the city of David. Um, I guess prior to that, we, we learned about Bethlehem in the book of Ruth, uh, where, um, where she settled along with her um, mother-in-law, uh, Naomi. Uh, and uh, then, of course, the birth of Jesus. And um, it was about six miles or so south of Jerusalem. Um, then we hear about Herod. This is uh, Herod the Great. Uh, who was known for a number of things. He was quite the builder of, um, uh, you know, kind of public works projects. Uh, uh, he worked on the temple. He worked on the port. He did a lot of construction-y type things. Um, he was called king, so to speak, uh, by the um, Romans, kind of treated as such, but he was very much wanting to be um, known as the king and was very ruthless. Uh, and if there was anyone that threatened him, uh, he had no hesitation about letting uh, it be known that he was not to be threatened. And this included as if you happen to be a wife or even a couple of his sons uh, were killed when he even suspected them of treason. So um, if there was any threat going on, he was not about that at all. Uh, and then we hear about these wise men, the Magi, who came from the east to Jerusalem. There's, you know, Bible scholars um, really want to mine every little detail out of Scripture, as they should. And they want to put it together with archaeology and world history and all that, as they should. Um, but anytime the Bible isn't super specific, of course... There's speculation, and as long as people say we're speculating, I guess that's fine. Um, I, I do my share of speculating, as you guys know, uh, also, and I think we all uh, are, are okay to do that as long as we know that it's, uh, it is what it is. Uh, in any event, um, 
people have talked about this word magi and and what what were the magi and of course there, our song says we three kings uh, most people agree that these weren't kings that these were perhaps you might better think of them as king makers uh, this was kind of a religious group um, some people say they were almost like a um, you know how like in scripture we have the the tribe of Levi and they became priests and and it was like a hereditary thing like you know if you were a priest you had to be from the tribe of Levi well some people think that this group of people it was like a, a hereditary thing that if you were in this clan uh, you studied the stars and there wasn't really any difference back then between astronomy where they took notice of the stars and how they moved across in planetary bodies and um, the study of astronomy, but there was also this component of astrology. Now, you know, of course, we don't believe in horoscopes, right? Um, but back then, the thinking was that heaven and earth were very much integrated, and if there was something really big happening on earth, there was a good chance it was going to be reflected in the heavens and vice versa if they saw something big happening in the heavens maybe two or three planets were coming into alignment and all those sorts of things um, they thought well maybe there was something big happening on earth and for the education level of the day it's hard to really blame them for that um, but that was kind of their training and then this kingmaker idea it was like um, they had a lot of influence, so they weren't kings, but some people think that they were, um, that they helped um, influence some of the political things that would happen in Assyria and Babylon and all those sorts of things. Um, and we have this today, right? There are people with tons of money who, you know, aren't bashful about persuading, you know, different political factions and this and that. Um, it, that's just the way the world works. So apparently it's worked that way for a really long time and, uh, and still does. Um, some people say, if you think about it, Daniel was kind of like a, a magi in that he was an advisor to the king. He was very smart. Um, so that's what we think of in terms of these wise men, the, the magi. And it says, where is he who has been born king of this uh, Jews, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So if you were uh, an astronomer and you saw this heavenly body thing happen, and it was happening um, in the region of Jerusalem, uh, and you thought that there was going to be something really significant connected to that, then the obvious thing to do would be to go to the capital city, because if you had put it all together with prophecy and you, you thought, okay, this is the king of the Jews, then you would go to where the king was, right? And so when they show up to Herod, who is not about any, you know, threats to his throne, and they say, hey, so we're looking for the king of the Jews. Right? Um, I'm surprised he just didn't kill them all at the uh, on the spot, but Verse 3, it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. You know the saying, 
if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Well, I'm guessing that if Herod wasn't happy, then the whole city was trouble. The other thing to think about is this wasn't like a, a ninja sort of approach of the Magi, right? This wasn't them sneaking into town at sunset with their three little camels, and this was an entourage. You don't travel with, you know, without a big group, right? Because it's not like you travel and then when it's time to eat, you swing by the drive-through and you stay at the Holiday Inn Express or whatever. Um, you had to bring cooks and wagons and or camels or you know whatever they were used, probably camels. Um, so let's say a small entourage, let's say you've got 20 or 30 camels of foreigners coming into town that would kind of be a big deal. People would notice that, and they would also, I'm sure, word, you know, palace gossip probably got out that, that they were looking for the king of the Jews, and, and you could just hear people say, they what? To Herod? They said that? You know, you can just see this going on. In any event, it, uh, so Herod says, okay, he gets all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he says, okay, so where's the Christ to be born? And they told him in Bethlehem, and then we hear one of the first kind of Old Testament references here, verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And this is from um, Micah, which I must admit, I get a little... Yeah, there we go. My, my minor prophet order is a little bit rusty, I must admit. This is from Micah 5, verse 2. The original text says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephathra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So the actual text here, you got to... Let me talk about Matthew a little bit. And let me talk about the rabbinical way. Now, how many people have ever had to do a term paper? How many of you have had to do footnotes or endnotes, right? How many of you have had that sheet from the teacher says, not only do you have to do a paper and have to do footnotes or endnotes, but here's how they have to look, right? The comma's got to go here. The period's got to go here. The publisher's got to go there. There are different ways of, cite, of citing work. Um, well, the rabbi way of sticking in a footnote would be to quote Scripture. But when they're quoting Scripture, they're not just quoting it. It's almost like pastor style, where you refer to it and that not only gets you to the text and kind of makes a little point, but it's a way of drawing your mind all the way back to that original text. Because many of these people, they knew their Bibles. They knew their Old Testament, uh, what we call the Old Testament. Um, so when he makes this reference, Matthew quoting what actually happened, his quote is a little different from Micah because he's adding that little 
that little pastory flavor to it, right? And he's mixing it. For, he probably knew the Greek version, which they had back in the day. And he says, you shall become a ruler who shepherd my people Israel. Um, Micah gives us a little taste of something that maybe this was going to be something big, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So we get this little taste that, hey, this isn't an ordinary baby that they're talking about. Um, we're talking a baby that had its origin in ancient days. That's not a typical baby, right? So, so Matthew's kind of calling their attention to this bigger prophecy. So, verse 7, Then Herod, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So, you don't get to Herod's position without being sneaky. God bless our righteous politicians, but it's probably hard to be a politician without being sneaky. Or maybe not, I don't know, but it just seems to me that it comes with a territory to a degree. In any event, he's being sneaky here and uh, sends them on their way. Uh, to go look. And it says, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, as you might imagine, since the stars that we have now are expected to be the stars that we had back in Jesus' day and the same moon and all that sort of stuff, people have really tried to find what was this star over Bethlehem. Well, people have said, well, maybe it's certain alignment of the planets that get super bright. You've seen that happen. Some people say, well, maybe it was a comet. There have been lots of speculations. But um, I found one commentary that just kind of, you know, when you have this question, you know, they, everybody gives it a shot of explaining it. And then sometimes some of them just sound to me like, you know, that, that sounds, that's, I, I kind of buy in this explanation. Well, apparently there's a couple of words that are used in the, in the Greek when they want to talk about a star. And almost all the time when they talk about stars in the Bible, they use this one particular word, which so happens not to be the word that's used here. The word that's used here is not used very often but a time or two when it is used in the Bible, it doesn't refer to a star, it refers to an angel. So, stars don't pop up, pop over, stay right over a house, right? It said, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. That's pretty specific. So, a really bright angel that could move exactly where the child was, I'm buying that. Now, that messes up a lot of nativity scenes. 
Although I've seen some where there's like an angel up there, right? So um, I'm thinking it might have been an angel. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house where they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. So there's a lot of content in verse 11 as well. First of all, it says they went into the, not the stable, not the cave. They went to a house. And this word, they saw the child. Apparently, this is a child. This is a word that is typically used not for a newborn or an infant, but they're thinking like 12 to 18 months is typically when they would use this word. And they're in a house now, right? Now, if you think about it, when you have a baby, the last thing you want to do is cart that baby all over the place. You want to hunker down, regroup. Mom's got to get used to being a new mom. Dad's got to get used to being a new dad. Um, you start to do just pull together the basics, right? So um, they, had to, they had to settle in for a while. Maybe somebody took him in, helped him get a house. You know, Joseph's knew a trade. He could, you know, make a little money. Um, in any event, they've, they're here for a while. Um, it says the, the Magi, they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they'd offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, people throughout history have commented on the significance of these gifts um, for what it's worth. Uh, gold was often associated with kings. That fits. Uh, frankincense was, uh, you know, incense was often used um, in temple worship. Uh, so we have this kind of priestly thing going on. And then myrrh was uh, very much used in um, anointing uh, bodies for burial. And uh, in fact, we know that myrrh specifically was used to anoint the body of Jesus. So, um, so here we have this maybe a little bit of foreshadowing that his death is going to be significant. And then verse 12, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Remember, Bethlehem's just six miles away. That would not be hard for a royal contingent to come, and I'm sure they had horses. And um, so when it says, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, they probably did that right then. Um, verse 14, And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had been spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. One of the themes, and we've seen this throughout uh, the New Testament, is that Jesus is always better than what was talked about before. Right? So... Here we have an evidence that Jesus is the better Moses, right? Moses had a rough infancy, right? There was a decree to go out through the land and 
all the baby boys were going to be killed, right? And so that's why Moses winds up in a basket and gets floated down the Nile and then Pharaoh's daughter and all that sort of stuff. We remember that. So, and Moses' ancestors had come from Israel, had gone to Egypt because of famine. They had been there a few hundred years. And then God calls them out of Egypt to the promised land. So here we have Jesus being the better Moses, also escapes the genocide of a, uh, or homicide, I guess, of a, a bunch of um, little boys. And it says he was in Egypt and then got called out of Egypt so that the prophecy could be fulfilled. Verse 16. Now, I should say, you know, you guys have been around the block a few times. You guys have heard the Christmas story a few times. Um, the cool thing about going through this is you can kind of see how it all hangs together, right? Um, you can start putting this together. Um, and then you ought to tell somebody. When you guys, when this starts to click, tell somebody. It's cool. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. You know that is got to be so true and he sent this is horrible and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old and under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men knowing what we know about Herod you could picture that he wasn't going to take any chances right he wasn't going to say 18 months he was going to boom two years ought to cover it all of them this was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah a voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So Ramah was a town about six miles to the north of Bethlehem. But it was also considered part of this region that were kind of ancestrally connected to Benjamin, the son that... Rachel had in childbirth, you know, as she died in childbirth, and also Ephraim and Manasseh, who were Joseph's two sons. So Rachel was the mom of Joseph and Benjamin. You remember this? So she would be considered kind of the ancestral matriarch of that region. So again, Matthew is pulling out this scripture, taking us, in this case, to Jeremiah chapter 31. And you don't have to turn there, but it's worth reading. Guess what chapter 31 of Jeremiah is? Some people think it is the most important chapter in the entire Old Testament. This is the chapter where God reestablishes his relationship with the people of Israel and says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. I'm going to reestablish things with you. And here's what he says. He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers when I took them by the land to bring them out of Egypt, that covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. This is Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. Listen to this, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is a big deal. So, Matthew, his whole point is, 
Jesus is Christ the Messiah. He's going to include later in the book why he came. He's going to have go into all the world and teach all nations. That's all Matthew stuff. And here in this chapter, just chapter 2, he is already putting it together that by quoting Jeremiah, he is telling them, y'all remember Jeremiah 31 and this new covenant thing? That was Jesus. He is the new covenant. He, the, the, the instigator of the new covenant, the New Testament. Verse 19, we'll be quick. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. But he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, people have looked for, where does it say in the Bible, he shall be called a Nazarene? Well, it doesn't say exactly, but people think, again, that Matthew was using kind of this pastorly way of quoting things because Jesus was talked about that he would basically be from nowhere special and... Um, Nazareth was about as unspecial as you could get. Uh, this was the place in Galilee where the Romans stationed their garrison to guard that part of the country. So if you were um, a good Jew, you weren't going to have that. You weren't going to be willing to live in that area. Because most people thought that if you lived in Nazareth, then you were kind of a Roman sympathizer by w being willing to live with them. And, you know, if you were a, just think about it, if you were a butcher, you would be selling things to the Romans. If you were a worker, you'd be building things for the Romans. So it they were thought, hey, if you're living in Nazareth, you know, we kind of question you. And remember this, this hung on, this kind of label hung on Jesus for a while. You know, even when he called his disciples, you remember Nathaniel said, When's the last thing something good came out of Nazareth? I'm paraphrasing. But that's, that's kind of what it was. So when it says, and he shall be called a Nazarene, that's what all that was about. Tightly packed into all of Matthew, we have so many references to places, to prophecies, to the significance where Matthew is trying to tell these people. Remember, Matthew is writing primarily to a, people with a Jewish background, and he's trying to put it all together for them so that they can look back and say, okay, I see why you think this was the Messiah. We see God's hand of providence. We see miraculous things here with this star that seems to zip around um, much different than a star would, would move. We see you know, other people worshiping him. We see this flight to Egypt and that fulfills a prophecy. So it all hangs together really, really well. All through Scripture, you kind of get the idea. And, of course, we know that all of Scripture is just God revealing himself to us through the Holy Spirit. And he wants us to have a faith that we can have confidence in, right? Um, 
and I think we have just another little evidence here that we have a faith that we can feel good about. Not that feelings are everything, but you want to be confident. And sometimes I, I think we encounter things where people will throw a weird view at us or something. And you may not you may not be able to go exactly and refute them, but I think you can feel good enough that you don't have to worry. Scripture can kind of take care of itself, and uh, it stands up, up to a great scrutiny. So, a look at the wise men, a look at their visit. I, I didn't mention this, I think people know, you know, the whole trip down to Egypt and hanging out there for a few years, uh, they were able to do that because they had just been given a lot of rich gifts. So this was kind of God's way of providentially providing for them um, while they were maybe going to be on the run to a degree. Anyway, good stuff. Uh, any questions? Any comments? Anybody itching to write a term paper? All right. Well, let's close. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that um, you can connect it all together. We thank you for Matthew and the way that he connected it all together for us. We thank you that we can see your hand through the words of the prophets. We see that Jesus was the better Moses, that he was the better David, that he is the Savior that we were promised and the Savior that we need. And we thank you so much for the, this season that lets us celebrate it even more. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.